Hello, and welcome to Bright Lights, Big Data, a podcast about people, places, and data. I'm your host, Tammy Armstrong. And I'm your other host, Mike Armstrong. Um, and we have our first guest today. Woo! Guests! Yay! <laughs> um, so we have with us today Mackenzie Elmer with the Des Moines Register. Hello, Mackenzie. Hi. Uh, welcome. You are, um, as we said, our first guest. You will set the standard that we will judge oh all boy. future guests by. So. <laughs> Extremely honored and totally nervous. No, it's fine. <laughs> Thank um, you guys for inviting me on. A reminder to our listeners, since this is our first time through, um, we have our set of five questions that we will ask every guest. Um, we'll run through all of those, learn a bit more about Mackenzie, um, how the work that she does affects our communities and how we interact with that. Um, and then we'll go from there. So let's jump into our first question. So here we go. Question number one, what do you do and how did you get there? Well, um, I've been a reporter for, I guess this is my sixth, uh, year reporting professionally and I always knew I wanted to be a journalist, I guess. I never had that struggle of wanting to change majors in college. I was very blessed in that regard, I suppose. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I always knew that writing was my greatest strength. My grandma was a journalist. She's a radio journalist. And uh, so I knew journalism was something I could do. I thought, wow, I could just become a reporter and I could write about whatever I want and I don't have to take courses and courses on it. (laughs) Um, So that curiosity kind of drove me toward journalism and I went to the University of Iowa. Um, helped work with a professor named Steve Barry, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist for the LA Times. He was my mentor and guided me through school and landed my first job at the Burlington Hawkeye. And uh, I was there for four months and um, through an acquaintance I'd met when I was a barista in college, um, he worked for the Associated Press and he said there's a paid job. (laughs) Yeah, it was like at the State House. Um, It's called a legislative relief position. And uh, so I applied, and four months into my first job, I told him I had to quit and <laughs> moved to Des Moines to cover the state house. And that was just that was what I call boot camp for journalists because the Associated Press is like gold standard for journalism. Mm-hmm. You learn AP style is what everyone follows, um, at least in the United States. And uh, so I was, you know, twenty what one twenty two like thrust into committee hearings with legislators and trying to navigate bills and not pissing people off (laughs) by stepping into committees I wasn't supposed to be in. It was a really good um, and hard five months, and I learned a ton. And then Bill Petrosky, actually, he's a reporter um, for the Register, a very renowned reporter, um, sat me in front of the editor of the Des Moines Register, Carol Hunter, he just, like, brought me up and was in the middle of her lunch. She was eating, like, Subway. And I sat down with my head to have a resume in hand, and I was like, hey, I'm uh, Mackenzie. And I didn't have any openings, but I got a call from the Waterloo Courier, and they um, asked me to come work for them, covering education. So I did that for a year. Then I got a call from the Des Moines Register, and they wanted me to come work for them. So I accepted the job and here I am today. <laughs> I'm actually starting off with doing breaking news and crime. That's the classic cops reporting people love to hear about. Like when I go to schools and there's fifth graders like, what's your job like? I don't, I, sorry, I don't tend to talk about like, well, I go to the city council meetings <laughs> and listen <laughs> for two hours. I jumped, I talk about cops reporting because it's just, it's easier to talk about the basics of 
writing, journalism, the who, what, when, where, why. And then uh, moved up to City Beat. So I cover City of Des Moines and Polk County government. And there's it's way too much work for just one reporter. And I wish we had more um, uh, to help share that load because there's so much to write about, Definitely. as you guys know, which is... Why are you doing this awesome podcast? Yeah. <laughs> I hope that was. We're totally going to cover everything, we'll all the gaps. Great. Okay, we'll just yeah, get it all right. out there right now. Right. The first, the only thing I could think of is like, you know, this is the absolute lowest stakes version of that AP boot camp. So, <laughs> yeah. like, we want to learn how this city and community works. We want to learn about what these boards do, but. Mm. Me off. too. Yeah. <laughs> we're also learning about podcasting, and there is no gold standard yeah. for that so much. But um, our second question: What are some common misperceptions about what you do? You know, most people want their message to be the priority and spoken the exact way that they delivered it, and framed in the way that they imagined it and that never worked like that usually never happens so when I ever when I talk with people about journal like their interactions with journalists like what's their top complaint is that they feel they've been misquoted when in actuality most of the time their quote is accurate it's just not framed in the way in the writing that they expected it to be I've been interviewed a couple of times at my current job um, and we do have Gunnar Olson in our office who used to be a reporter and he coached me up on a lot of things. Gunnar coached me up on like, here's what I'm going to talk about, here's the things that we want to cover, here's our message sort of thing. And because I had that, I didn't ask a lot of the basic questions that I had of like, I always wondered if when you say, you know, this is all off the record, if that's like, you know, somebody's watched a lot of law and order and then they're going to be like i'm going to defend myself in court it's like it doesn't work like that yeah um especially with people who are used to talking to media like politicians pr people sometimes even will do this they'll just they'll just say and this is off the record and then they'll just start talking and it's been ingrained in us it's well it should be ingrained in most journalists that you can't just say it's off the record and start talking because that's it's an agreement. The journalist mm -hmm. has to also say, yes, this is off the record. Because we're not, our job isn't to just, like, listen to you complain and we can't, you know, use any of it for a story. Our job is to write a story and report mm -hmm. the news and report what you say. And so, like, I'm not going to waste my time talking to you for 45 minutes right. off the record unless it's, you know... We're investigating the Watergate scandal or something like that. I feel like the vast majority of people, there's no training or sort of literacy in that process. Mm -hmm. Like, I didn't know how to interact with a reporter of, like, what was expected of me, what I should be asking. What, speak what, only when spoken to. Don't offer anything. Like, is it a fearful sort of interaction? Yeah, or even, I mean, the first time I ever did an interview was before I knew the landscape, and it was like... I wasn't sure if I should expect sort of like, is this mm. going to be combative? Like, it was just like, I had no idea what to expect so, going into So you it. touched on journalism literacy, and I'm like, gung-ho, like, yes, journalism literacy in schools, let's talk about it, let's get people, you know, educated about the news and how journalism works. Like, I'm all for it. I feel like this fear of, like, you know, should I be on guard with reporters... I don't know where that's how that's being generated, but I would like it to stop, because... <laughs> because I imagine a time when people were brave enough to kind of just speak their mind and be able mm -hmm. to really just say what they want to say. Like, I mean, so mm -hmm. many, so often I'm on a, a, you know, an interview and I just want to be like, 
what do you really want to say? Like, yeah. I know you're like, you're kind of beating around the bush, right? Like, let's talk, like, <laughs> is this really what's going on? But, you know, people, people have feelings and they're, you know, they have their jobs to protect and they don't want to ruin the organization. They hurt the organization. Right. And mm-hmm. I'm sure they've been, some, some have been burned before by reporters or feel that they have. There's always that tiny fear of, I say one thing ridiculous and suddenly I am Florida man on, you know, Twitter of like, that's going to be a funny headline and it can be sent out and that is my next, you know, two months. Sometimes if a situation calls for it, we'll be willing to read back a quote to someone so they know what their quote sounds like. And usually it's for a lot of times with folks that have never talked with a reporter before. And I I learned a lot of that too from like crime reporting, because in crime reporting, you talk with a lot of just regular Mm. people on their doorstep and they may or may not have talked to another reporter before. Sometimes they're actually the bravest people because <laughs> they're just like, yeah, I saw the whole thing. <laughs> like, I was having a beer, and, you know. And I kind of love that because people just, like, when they see a crime happen, they're just, they are so eager to talk about what they saw and the facts and... Suddenly everyone's a CSI. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, people are just so interested in crime, obviously. It's just, you know, it's just human. All right, uh, moving on. Why should the community care about what you do? people of Des Moines have really only me and some TV reporters trying to attend all of these meetings where they vote to change things about like how much is coming out of your paycheck for XYZ and really that's that's what matters most right I mean I am trying my very best to get information to you about when your taxes are going to go up why your taxes would go up you know, this is money out of your paycheck that the you're giving to government, and they're supposed to fix your roads and pick up the stray dog. And as the federal government seems to be shedding some responsibilities that people expected of them, <laughs> uh, local governments are, I feel like, more and more picking up the tab. So they're worrying about housing for middle, low-income people. They're working on, you know, development of land. I mean, they, they dictate what you can and cannot build by their policies. Um, they really shape everything about your life, I feel. And um, so my job is to watch them and tell you what they're doing and why and also, like, hear your concerns and bring them to the local leader's attention. Um, So I usually try to do a little bit of planning before I approach someone, but often in breaking news situations, it's kind of up to my critical thinking mind, which is also sort of... You know, worrisome sometimes. <laughs> if you're not like totally no on, on that day, you haven't had enough coffee, and you're really like trying to think of, um, yeah. So follow up questions are a big part of my life as well. <laughs> I've definitely had those days where I've walked out of an 8 a.m. meeting going, man, I wish I'd have brought up this point. Yeah, can yeah. we take two again? <laughs> yeah, right. I guess people usually only care about what we do too when when it affects them, right? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden you see, wait a minute, why am I paying? you know, 10 more dollars for a month for, like, my sewer. Well, there is an answer for that, but, you know, <laughs> I hope, I hope too, that, like, I, I help communicate, like, the city at least views reporter, reporters as communicating their information to, to the mm-hmm. citizens, because um, I, th- I think that, though they are getting better at this, and I'm happy that they're becoming more creative about communication with their citizens, like, I don't know what other outlets they would have to do that. It used to be the newspaper was, like, basically where everybody got their information. Mm -hmm. The one that comes to mind when you mention that is this winter. 
Oh. We got all of those snows, and all I saw on Facebook <laughs> was uh, everybody in Des Moines just yelling about, like, why weren't these, snow why weren't the plows house. out at this time, and why wasn't downtown cleared at rush hour? Yeah. Um, and without a reporter, like, it would have just ended up, like, everyone's just kind of grumpy, and then, you know, the snows, the streets eventually got cleared, and they'll forget well, about it until next bad? year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe well, you don't. Maybe we don't need me to. <laughs> but in a in a more active electorate, they might, you know, erroneously vote out somebody that they think is responsible. Like, oh, someone's going to run on. I'm going to make sure the streets are plowed. So in that instance, you know, everybody, including me, had a really hard time getting home, and it was like, yeah. Why aren't the streets plowed? <laughs> so, made a few calls with the sources I've built, meaning like they're not anyone special that has to talk to me. It's just I, you know, make relationships with people in the city who answer questions and um, come to find that well, the city has a policy that they don't plow downtown streets until a certain time, which I don't think many people knew, and that happened to be like a piece of information that everybody really wanted. That was like, oh well, I'm glad that I know that. You know, right. <laughs> If I park downtown, like, during a certain time, it might be it might be difficult for me. We're still competing for what's going to be the most, I say clickable, and it sounds terrible, but, like, what's going to be most widely consumed and most important to the readers. And so I always love it when people email me with, like, a story idea or a tip or something that's going on, because there's no way in hell that I can keep track of everything. It's just the entire city of Des Moines. Yeah. So what are you most excited about right now? So I guess in my career goal, eventually I would like to um, write about kind of climate change, the environment. I, I do get excited about trying to use my beat to kind of use my interest and try to find like a local angle for those those topics. So um, and this is, Des Moines is actually sort of an interesting city that, like, you have a mayor that joined the Paris Climate Agreement with a bunch of mayors when um, President Trump pulled out of it for, um, for the United States. So I'm interested to see, like, how progressive this city can be on those fronts. It seems like those conversations are happening right now and with, you know, building and development. And there's a lot of progressive things the city is thinking about. Like, there's a thing called form-based code. And Mike's smiling. <laughs> um, he could probably tell you way more about that than I could. In fact, you should probably uh, we should probably talk about that later. <laughs> Help me understand it. Um, but uh, like I said, something that sounds boring. If like I were to just write a headline that was like zoning about to change in the city, people would never click on it and read it. But it it's it's about like where you can build things, what kinds of things you can build, and. This past weekend, we were walking around uh, Valley Junction, mm -hmm. and it's like, those sorts of older downtowns are like neighborhood downtowns, like in Beaverdale, say, like, a lot of those you're not allowed to build anymore, the way that zoning has been. Like, we've zoned these places that we really love out of existence. Um, and so form-based code is trying to get back to some of that of how we used to do things mm -hmm. of being able to create more of those connected community centers that um, really serve that sort of 20-minute neighborhood around them. Um, and I would have been so proud of how you explained that. That was really good. <laughs> Actually, I have not heard someone describe it like that, and that's, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, I mean, everybody wants like that city center. They want to feel... And even some of the suburbs, uh, I think it's Johnston, they're, like, they're recreating yeah. their city's uh, hall space into like a market 
with housing and like trying to keep things close and concentrated and that's something that planners love yeah <laughs> and people yeah. love like they don't want to drive mm-hmm. forever I mean yeah and it was one of those uh we had these spaces that people loved I mean if you ask anybody like what is your favorite you know street in Des Moines you know I don't think many people are going to say like uh southeast 14th um and so like we had these places we liked but they were you know inconveniences around that of like I'd be nicer if it was easier to park there you know or like sometimes I'm just sort of passing through that area it'd be nicer if I could get through there faster and we started to incorporate that and eroded away that original place like the things that we loved about it so it is really cool to see Des Moines trying to essentially get back to its roots so this is the way we used to build neighborhoods I had a conversation with someone from the Urban Land Institute and they I mentioned form-based code and she stopped and said really like that is like super progressive and I was like oh that's what they tell me so it's like you know there's a lot of like progressive ideals that are um, produced from like this the smart city staff and you know local leaders here but you know government does move slowly still Mm -hmm. and it takes a while to get people on board with those things and it's always like I wish I had enough time to kind of analyze (laughs) my my stories and like how they're consumed and like when people bite on -hmm. a certain topic Mm -hmm. because it can be super hit or miss and I think journalists like we don't get like why was that story consumed so much and then my follow-up about the actual thing not or Mm. you know I chose to write that story is kind of a listicle, which is a terrible word, <laughs> but sort of a, here's the five things that are a big deal about form-based code. And people, people clicked on it. People read it. I could tell how far they read because we track these things and mm-hmm. it's, I know it's scary, but it's true. <laughs> it makes, it brings me joy to know that at least, you know, a couple thousand people now know that the zoning's going to change and it, how it could affect them. That's I think cool. a lot of it was probably developers in town. But there's a lot more to write about that, and um, this brings me back to just my struggles of (laughs) journalism and how to make local government interesting for people, which is what you're trying to do right now. All right, well, you've made it through the first four questions. uh, (laughs) Flying colors. That that wasn't bad at all. (laughs) Well, that's what you say now, but it's time for the toughie. Oh, yeah. Are you ready for it? I am really worried about this one. What should we have for dinner tonight? Oh my god, I have the best idea. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, coming out strong. (laughs) Yeah, um, but I saw this New York Times recipe thing, which is a great thing to follow. Sheet pan chicken with potatoes, arugula, and garlic yogurt. Does that look good? That does look good. I also like that it looks like it was maybe made with just one pan. Love it. Which is like your favorite, because you're adults with a child we didn't take you past the kitchen when which you is came also in called parent reason yeah. <laughs> um what do you guys usually like to make for dinner this is why we bring in spaghetti yeah, we bring in the subject not experts. what did we we actually made a real meal last night last night we made an asian rice bowl with like crispy fried minced garlic Dang. and asparagus, and asparagus. that's really ambitious too it's a lot easier than it sounds You know, our perspectives have certainly changed 
over time as we moved into our career. I know, um, you know, for my job now, I actually interact with the media, and and we've gotten to know Mackenzie, um, and I've gotten to know a few other reporters in the Des Moines area, and it's, you know, it's been very interesting hearing from their side as well. Like, I think one thing that Mackenzie said that really, you know, sticks with me, like, because I know that I do it for my work, is that when we're working with reporters on a story, you know, we certainly do have our, our frame, our story that we want to be the main theme running through it, right? And that is entirely for selfish reasons mm-hmm. of, you know, if this story goes up in the register or on KCCI, you know, runs a little bit negative or runs a bit more sensational, um, that, you know, there's going to be massive parking problems or they interview somebody from the neighborhood and they're like, this is going to, you know, ruin my commute. Like, I'm never going to be able to get to work. And it makes sense. Like, I disagree with them on certain things, but at the same time, you know, it's really important that a lot of different sides of that story get told. Um, And that's, you know, learning from Mackenzie, like, you know, that is, that's their role, and that is their agency that they bring to it is, um, you know, it's great that they come to talk to us, our organization about transportation, but um, we're, we're not the register. Like, um, they're not responsible to us, um, and they've been fantastic to work with, but they're trying to portray this broad, you know, neutral story. Like, lay it all out there without any sort of... Um, bias added, which I certainly have my bias. Working with the media and also, you know, learning more from Mackenzie about all this, um, I think one of my big takeaways now when I, you know, read stories is, again, about where are people coming from? Um, So if they have a story and they interview, say, the Iowa Department of Transportation, a couple of local business owners, and people from the neighborhood. You know, they all have... They're coming at this story from a different facet. Um, And together they sort of build that image of what's actually happening, but it's always important to think about what angle are they coming at, you know, what story are they trying to portray, and also starting to think about, like, who's not there. So I know one of the big things is that, you know, Mackenzie is the reporter for all of Des Moines and Polk County, right? You know, she does a fantastic job, but that certainly limits, you know, how long she can spend on a story. She can't interview absolutely everyone, so um, I'm always thinking about, like, here's sort of what's portrayed. Um, Here are the pieces that are here, but there may still be pieces missing. Um, And so I think those two things are um, have really risen to the top for me going through sort of my studies as a urban planner and then um, definitely refined through my work of looking at who is telling the story, um, what voices are there, and sort of what kind of frame are they trying to put on this image mm-hmm. um, and using that to kind of filter the news through and try to pull pieces from that and relate it to what I'm doing and sort of my understanding of the issue. Yeah, it sort of informs your critical thinking with a a different aspect. Um, Yeah, and and you mentioned something at the beginning of one of your examples that, you know, there's going to be parking problems, you know, or parking is going to be such a problem. You've kind of made me realize that car culture is so embedded 
into our society thinking that even people who are working really hard to bring a well-rounded perspective to a story just may not even question that assumption, right? That like, just because there's less parking, does that really mean that it's a problem or that it's worse? Yeah, there's been a lot of interesting pieces that sort of have come about from my work and from the start of my days each day. Um, I'm kind of catching up on all of the different news and, um, you know, writers that I follow daily around urban planning and transportation planning, just seeing what's happening. And you start, just start to notice these things of um, the language that people use, how members of the public respond to stories and sort of their take on it. Um, it's all really important to know, and I, it does help tell that full story. I know a book that you read a while ago is all about how do you take criticism. Mm, thanks for the feedback. Yeah, and so a big part there is, like, it's important that we hear parking is going to be a huge problem. Like, that is their perspective on it. What we really need to try to dig into is what is the motivation behind that fear? Mm-hmm. Um, so parking may or may not be the real issue. Maybe it's more about access or... I don't want to walk a long way to get to the building, but if transit is there and drops you off right in front, is that an alternate solution? Right. So what about you? Like, how do you see, you know, the news through your specific lens? Uh, Yeah, so it's kind of funny. I was in a a training recently with um, some of my colleagues, and I kind of got some feedback, or not feedback, but just like a reaction to um, some questions I was asking of the trainer and someone in my group was saying, like, wow, that just, you know, really, you're, you're such a data person and an, an analytical person. Like, you're asking the questions behind the questions. And I'm just kind of saying, oh, yeah, this is great information. I'll just take this in. And and I, I think that really illuminates the way that professional backgrounds um, influence your critical thinking. Um, I think everybody brings something different. And for me, you know, my analytical background makes me do things like, just digging a little deeper for information. Um, So, you know, if I'm reading the news or um, looking into current events on social media, um, you know, I I try not to take numbers just at face value. I try to really understand what they're measuring, for example. So one kind of recent example was I think there was a Homeland Security report that had come out. um, And I don't remember the specific figures because it's been a couple months now, but um, talking about the percentage of um, terrorists who are not U.S. citizens or they or they come from um, international backgrounds of some kind. And um, rather than just sort of like taking that percentage, like I actually went and looked at the Homeland Security report and dug into the relevant section where it was talking about that and found out that the definition that they were working with in that report was actually not really the way that it was being discussed in the source where I was reading it, that they were kind of taking, they were basically cherry picking the statistics in, in uh, the way that would be most um, beneficial to their cause at their point of view. And so, you know, I think everyone's probably heard the phrase that there's um, lies, damned lies, and statistics. Uh, but I think we also still tend to look at numbers as being irrefutable. 
and really they're not. There's always a story behind what population we've chosen to get at the kind of the denominator behind the percentage, who was even eligible to be in the percentage in the first place. Um, so that is a, a big part of how I read news and current events. Um, another piece that's been really interesting to me to, to notice and pick up on lately is I think about like, it's like reading comprehension. That's probably not quite the right term for it, but in like the GRE or the GMAT, like graduate entrance exams, there's always like that section of the exam where you have to like read a couple of paragraphs or an article and then you answer some questions about it afterwards, right? And the point of that exercise is to often, you know, it's, you know, a business exam or something, but they'll throw a scientific article in there because you're really not expected to understand all of the words in the article or the processes in it. You're supposed to be able to critically think about it and say, well, I understand this is some kind of noun representing a chemical or something. So, you know, I can, I can just kind of keep that information and look for the important pieces around it. My ability to do that with articles involving um, computer science or machine learning algorithms is obviously much enhanced, right? Like, um, even if they're not directly talking about the process that they're using, I can kind of guess at what it's going to be because I can kind of break down the, the lingo and the jargon or the marketing speak about something. And sometimes people will really try to dress those things up too, right? Like, oh, we use this ultra sophisticated model to figure out blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I, I know what you did. Like, I can tell from these things, this is what you did. It's not as sophisticated as you're making it seem. Or more importantly, I can kind of start to guess at what the weaknesses might have been in that approach and know where I might need to dig further if it's something that really, I think, might impact me or impact my community. But yeah, so I, I think that um, as my analytical uh, aptitude has increased. I just read the news differently and think about, especially where numbers are concerned or where um, analytical techniques are kind of being discussed. Um, I can parse that a little bit better. And you know, sometimes that's coming directly from um, maybe it's it's a blog post or a press release from a tech company or you know some kind of company that's using analytics. Um, and sometimes it's written by a journalist who may not entirely understand what they're writing about. Right. You know, um, I think on Star Talk, Neil deGrasse Tyson's podcast a couple years back, he had um, a great episode talking about sort of the death of science journalism and how, you know, your major news outlets used to have specific science journalists who were dedicated to that. They understood enough about science to write critically about it and explain it so that the everyday person could understand it. I think CNN in particular, I think they said did this, you know, eliminated their, their science reporting staff. And at the next shuttle launch, they were basically just like looking at it and going, Ooh, oh, now at, it's kind of orange. Yeah, look at the space plane. <laughs> right. <laughs> it goes up <laughs> like, um, you know, there's there's so much value in really understanding a subject matter um, and being able to break it down critically. And so, you know, thankfully, I can do that for my field, but there's a lot of fields where I can't do that. Um, and that's something I really appreciate, actually, about like our marriage is that we have these um, very different backgrounds 
professionally and with our educations that you're much more focused on communications and like like your listening sessions and, and all of that work, which is something I can bring to my field to enhance it, but also like talking about the way the world works with you, you bring a totally different perspective than I have. And I think about the numbers. <laughs> and that's good, right? Um, one thing I always think about, um, maybe this is less the case now, but I, I remember like an undergrad um, and even through grad school, like there were a couple of different news publications that were really big about their sort of data visualization. Mm -hmm. um, so I think The Economist mm -hmm. does that a lot. The other, like, was it USA Today or like one of those was really USA big. USA Today of... has done some, um, lately now the New York Times has really been big on it, I think. Um, and of course, 538. But yeah, at that time, yeah. USA Today was actually doing kind of a lot. So, I mean, a while back, like um, when I first started getting into urban planning, like, I knew about these things, and they have a very sterling reputation. Um, and then I started to see ones that were about transportation or mm. about planning, and like the specific ones I was seeing, it's like, all right, this was put together by somebody who knows very little about this issue. Mm -hmm. It's not even necessarily that the data is wrong, there's just a lot of context mm -hmm. missing. So I started to think about that more and more, and I would ask you about uh, certain news articles, which is like, this this seems off, but, like, I'm not a data-driven person. Like, the numbers do not speak to me. And so you just look at this, and you're like, this doesn't seem right, but I don't know, uh, mm -hmm. or how it's, you know, off. And it just, you know, got me wondering a lot, and, you know, reading these things a lot more closely. It's like, these are very reputable this is not, you know, a staff of two people in a small town putting this together and then sending it out. Like, this has been vetted through, but I was still seeing things that weren't matching up. And a lot of it was their use of data. Mm -hmm. um, and that's such a hard thing to have a, have a literacy on and be able to apply that critical thinking when really all you can go on is sort of what's in the chart and then the little bit in, you know, like four point print underneath of like, here's where the data came from. And you look at the title of that report and it's like, these things don't match up. Like, yeah, yeah. You're pulling from a report that had a very different purpose. Mm -hmm. That's a really good point. Yeah, it's it's so interesting. And, and I have some sympathy, of course, you know, people are working under a deadline and it's always hard to perfect your own data visualization. Um, there's... A couple of different um, bloggers out there who will kind of do data visualization challenges and um, maybe take an existing one from um, maybe one they think is really bad or one they think is you know pretty good um, and challenge their readers to redo it and it's fascinating the the range of good examples and bad examples but the range of good solutions that come out of it and the different spins that you can take on something um, with the same input and it can come down to you know what your goal is what you as the designer think is the most important information to be highlighted but there's also this layer underneath that I think most people aren't aware of, of how the psychology of data visualization can work. Um, things like pie charts. You've probably heard me rail on pie charts in the past <laughs> in our house. Um, you know, I, 
I don't love pie charts, especially single pie charts by themselves. And one of the reasons behind that is because the, the way that the human brain um, perceives um, area and size differences doesn't really work for pie charts. So, um, you know, we do a lot better with that with, say, bar graphs, stacked bar charts and things like that, um, because the proportions there match up more with how your brain thinks of it when it sees it. But pie charts, um, the, the ratios kind of get off as, as sizes change, as those pie wedges change. And also they just aren't a very efficient use of space. But, um, <laughs> but I, you know, I'm sympathetic because there's, you know, I'm cer I certainly don't make perfect data visualizations. Um, and it, it, there's a lot of work that goes into making good ones, but um, it's funny that you mentioned the economists because you know as I started to study data visualization more, I, I used to really love their visualizations, and then I started seeing a lot more weaknesses in them and going, oh wait, why did you do that? Oh, you're just doing that because it's complicated and not really because it's useful or something like that. So I mean, one of the big reasons why we wanted to get Mackenzie is that. She's going through the process of this podcast, um, and I, I like I like talking to her about anything, but I also love talking to her about her mm -hmm, work. Of mm -hmm. so she does have to write about just this enormous variety of issues. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're we get to talk on this podcast from our specific lens. Mm -hmm. um, she kind of has to talk about everything. So, you know, one week she's um, reporting on. You know, city council thinking about banning roosters <laughs> yep. in the city. And then she's talking about uh, local option sales tax mm -hmm. um, and... Immigration uh, issues. And, yeah, like... Yeah. Those are all, you know, if you think about it from sort of the university perspective, those are all vastly different departments, right? Right, right. Like, you go to get a major in one of those things, and she mm -hmm. is writing about all of these different pieces. So she has this really great perspective on how do you assemble the city into like a working whole. Mm -hmm. Like she sees all of these um, different stories and starts to put them together into a more cohesive narrative. Um, so I always really appreciate that about her when we're talking to her. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, that's one of the reasons why we thought she'd make a first great first guest. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this this show, when we're looking at our, our interviews in particular, are all about our local community, about Des Moines and about Iowa. Um, yeah, she's she's absolutely really dedicated and and wants to not just get a story out there quickly, and she really wants to tell the story right, and she wants to help the community and inform the people. Um, she's got this really this really pure, I feel like, objective. So it's really great having her on. And, um, you know, we're kind of trying to help with that effort too with this show. And we hope that our two perspectives are, are interesting to you and um, the things we'll be talking about. Yeah. So everyone out there, get to know your local reporters. They're fascinating um, people. <laughs> they are. Um, so with that, I think we're going to close I th uh, again. Thank you to Regina Spector for the use of our theme song. We also wanted to thank our friend uh, Claire Richmond, who designed our logo. Um, she is with Hello and High Five, fantastic group, and we really enjoyed working with her. 
Um, and finally, thanks again to Mackenzie Elmer for braving it out, being our first guest, um, and really helping us sort of get a better picture of where we're going to go in the future um, and helping us get to know our city a bit better. So we hope you enjoyed our first real episode. Um, if you like what you've heard here, make sure to subscribe to us on wherever you've found this podcast. Uh, leave us a review and all that good stuff. You can find us on Twitter at BLBDpod. And if you have questions for us or thoughts on the show, email us at brightlightsbigdata at gmail.com. Let us know. We're definitely still figuring this out, so we're happy to hear from you, if there's things you want us to look into, people you want us to bring on, we're happy to chase those down. Until next time, and thanks to our baby for staying asleep. <laughs>